This is Your Working Life, a podcast with tools, inspiration, and resources to help you enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I welcome Lawana Harris to the show. Lawana is going to talk about the power of sharing the power in diversity while honoring diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Lawana, welcome to the show. I am so excited to dive into a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, we were talking briefly before the show started about what inspired you to write Diversity Beyond Lip Service. So bring our global audience up to speed. What was the genesis for this book? Sure. Well, I just have gotten to a place where after decades of working in corporate America and in the corporate environment with large multinational organizations, I got into the place where I had sat in meetings, worked with all of my peers and even some clients, and found that we have all the words in place for creating inclusion and a culture that really fosters belonging for everyone. However, the lived experience wasn't matching the words. And I found that many times it was more lip service than it was meaningful action. You know, I I really, uh, that resonates so much with me. Again, we were chatting about our respective experiences and we'll fill our audience in that we we often see these on on the corporate website, right? The company website, but they don't always uh, walk the talk or walk the brand that they're putting out there. So what's the elephant in the room when it comes to diversity at work? Yeah, you know, the thing is, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, at work, what tends to be the elephant in the room is the inability to understand how to best share power. And that elephant also exposes our current dynamic of sometimes a male dominated environment. Sometimes it may be dominated by one culture or ethnicity. And, you know, I'll call it out. Many times it may be dominated by a white environment majority. And in those environments, being able to share power for the benefit of the company, as noted by the data, having a diverse and inclusive workforce does increase profitability, employee engagement, innovation, a number of things that are really good for the business. While that may be true, it's hard when you think about how do we begin to share power? You know, I'm glad you're calling it out, my dear. It's time, right? And you've got the courage and uh, the um, the grit to make that happen. What I love about your book is it's really a coaching guide for challenging bias. That's even the subtitle of the book. So let's dive in. Um, how, how do we begin to move the needle in organizations? Where does that start? Yes. And, you know, there's I think there's so many advocates out there that are asking that question. I'm on board. I really believe in diversity and inclusion. But how? Where do I begin? And I think we start with having these conversations like the one we're having today and enabling and empowering folks to understand that, you know what, diversity and inclusion can be messy. Am I, as a, as a black woman, which is what I prefer, black, am I black? Am I African-American? Am I of African descent? You know, even sometimes being able to just talk about issues around diversity and inclusion is tough. 
And what I'm offering are some ways to look at the language of inclusion, the language of trust. And I prefer personally feel there's no better way to do that than by using the principles and tenets of professional coaching, which is why I introduce a method and a model and some tools at the intersection of coaching and diversity and inclusion. I love that. And as a fellow coach, I applaud you. You know, I really think that our leadership model is moving toward coaching as a technique. And I think that is uh, transformative, but I think this will also really help us make a difference and really, uh, again, move the needle with, with really making things happen with diversity and inclusion and not just talking about it. So something that you bring up that I find really compelling is the concept of sharing power. Tell us more about this because this is not a conversation that's happening in the workplace and I believe it must. Oh, absolutely. And you know, the concept of sharing power, and again, this is what I'm introducing in in my belief, so I'll, I'll put that out there as a disclaimer. And I believe that if we offer an avenue to discuss and then some real pragmatic ways to help those that are in the current power construct. And, you know, obviously it's, it's been that way for decades. If we help them understand how to number one, be aware and talk about the issues around power in the workplace, then we can begin to deal with their truths at a radical level and put into place ways to use the power construct as it exists to actually open the doors for inclusion. And I'll give you an example. Many times those in the majority, typically white men, are pushed into a corner when we talk about privilege and power. However, I'm introducing a concept that says, you know what, there's no need to be ashamed. There's no need to point fingers. What if you take that current dynamic of privilege and power and you use that to open doors to more women on, with, to, to achieve board seats? Or you open it to more people of color to move up into senior levels in the organization. So that's one example of reframing so that we can reimagine possibilities around power and sharing power in the workplace. I really appreciate that reframe. And I hope uh, those particular individuals that are that are listening can understand that they can impact change in such a positive way. And it shouldn't be a them and us uh, you know, two-sided uh, scenario here, right? We're all in this together. So, so let me ask, do you see this changing as the generations in the workforce evolve? We're seeing more and more baby boomers retiring. Gen Z is now entering the workforce, albeit in an entry-level capacity. And by, by population, Gen Z and millennials are just more diverse than Gen X and boomers. So there's some natural change evolving there. What's your take on that? I think you're you hit the nail on the head there because not only are they, you know, coming in as the new generation of leaders, they're coming in with their own set of values and principles and some of them are not directly aligned to those in my generation and as you mentioned the boomers that are now uh, many of them retiring and I'll give you a prime example. One statistic that stands out for me is when we look at millennials they there's a statistic that shows that 75% of millennials will take a pay cut to work for a socially responsible organization 
And when we pause for a minute and think about the implications of that, that means for those in the the previous generations, including myself, we were focused on security, compensation, those types of things led the way, whereas they're willing to take a pay cut solely based on whether or not they believe that a company aligns to their values and is socially responsible. So when we talk about inclusion and diversity, it's not just a good thing to do. They're coming in the door saying, what do you stand for? The organizations that have not been able to move the needle with DNI are going to be at a significant disadvantage in their, their ability to attract, develop, and retain top talent. We'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. Luana, I find it really interesting that one of the hangups is hiring for diversity because so many organizations think they're doing that, but they don't necessarily increase inclusion. And you write about this so eloquently as a recipe for failure. So what's the difference and how can businesses avoid that fate? Sure. And this is really a really important point for businesses as it relates to bringing in talent, and the cost associated with new hires, especially when that talent doesn't have an opportunity to reach their full potential. And there's a number of research studies that show the dollar, the dollars that are lost. When you bring someone in, you train them, you have them ready to go for the position, and then they leave within a year or so, and they haven't been able to give a return based on that investment. And that's why it's important for businesses to take a look at this. And what we find is, uh, there's a saying I like to, to, uh, to go along with this, is that businesses and organizations often hire for individuality, but then they reward conformity. And exactly. So when that happens, sure, you may hire some people of color. You may hire some people with different abilities. You may even hire more women at different levels uh, with of authority within the organization. However, if the, an organization hasn't taken that time to build an inclusive culture where they can not only now, you know, be featured as we're diverse, um, I'm doing air quotes there. But, uh, you know, that that's not the point. If you stop there, then you're at risk of losing that talent, because if that environment does not reward them, does not give them truly meaningful impact with their positions, the ability to be developed, to grow, to thrive. If that environment doesn't support the, this new diverse talent, then they're going to leave and find an environment that does. And But there are ways. Number one, if you look at organizations that are doing it well, and there are many out there, you'll find that these organizations have mentoring programs. They have talent programs. 
they're active with ERGs. Some of them even engage their talent before they're brought into the organization and let them connect with some of their ERGs. And those are employee resource groups that may um, focus on women's, it may focus on different aspects of diversity. But again, there are practical ways to build an inclusive culture to make sure that you're able to retain the diverse talent that you hire into your organization. Something that really struck me in your book is the uh, the section where you write about creating a space where people feel comfortable. And again, hearkening back to our Gen Z and millennial professionals, they're, they're very conscious about the environment and the culture that they are interested in working. And the talent war is certainly alive and well in this time. So talent has many more options than they may have had even five years ago. So what does that comfortable space look like regarding diversity and inclusion? Yeah, you know, I've been hearing a lot, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't hear it much coming up through my career, but I hear the term safe space. So I actually have raised three millennials, so they helped me break down and channel my inner millennial from time to time, you know? So in having those conversations, um, not only outside of the workplace, but within the workplace, I found that it really translates to psychological safety for many. And that translates to some for being able to speak up when there are times that they may not agree. It also means being able to be themselves with authenticity, a word that we've heard kicked around in the business arena for a number of years, and also to be free from retaliation. And it's very specific. So when you think about having that safe space created, it requires being open to being challenged, to being, quite honestly, looking in the mirror and hearing perspectives that may be diabolically opposed to your own and welcoming that as an opportunity to grow. So it requires humility and vulnerability at a level that we haven't seen in organizations that are typically hierarchical. Got it. Thank you for that explanation. You know, I've also heard the the phrase creating a psychologically safe space for cognitive diversity so you can bring new and maybe even radical ideas to the table. So thank you for, for sharing. So this really resonated with me in your book. I hear this term, I don't see color. Uh, bandied about a lot. And we are both in agreement that these are really harmful words that minimize others' experience. Help us understand that on a deeper level, because that is a negative message. Sure. And, And let me just start out by saying that First of all, no one has all the answers around DNI, and I'm not proposing that I do either. I'm just offering what I've learned throughout my career and lived experience. And I also want to say that usually, most times, I would say I believe that people who use that term, I don't see color, that I don't believe that there's malintent. So I, I just wanted to put that out there first. And then I would say it also is something that unknowingly can also mean to people of color, I don't see you. And I'll give you an example. I just spoke um, a couple weeks ago up in Victoria, British Columbia, and I had a slide that had an African-American man 
two pictures side by side. One, he's in a business suit and obviously an executive. He's in an office space. Very nice. And then the other is the same man with a hoodie on, a black hoodie and some gym shorts and athletic shoes, obviously ready to go out to exercise. And what I talk about is this can be a CEO, a senior executive at an organization, but in his own neighborhood, if he decides to go out for a morning run dressed that way, he that could be a life or death situation. And that is the reality for some for black men in America. And because that's the truth, when he comes in in his suit in the organization to say, I don't see color, when someone could be walking into a board meeting and, and having had that type of experience or even seen that type of experience covered in the news multiple times, to say, I don't see color, it says, I don't see you. That's a really powerful example, Luana. Thank you for that. That really, um, that makes sense. It certainly does. So your book is based on an incredible six-step commit model. And while I don't want you to give it all away, I don't want to have a total spoiler alert. I want people to to get out there and, and read your book. Give us a glimpse of that commit model and how it works. Because as a coach, you bring such great strategies and techniques and action steps that are really applicable after reading the book. Sure. With the commit model, I I had a chance to first work globally and having the experience of working with leaders around the world. I understand that as we leave our shores here in the U.S., things become very different around diversity and inclusion. So commit is built to be scalable and something that has a universal applicability across different geographic regions. So I'll just share one, commit to courageous action. Committing to courageous action in the U.S. looks very different than it would in the Middle East or Asia. And looking at diversity, one aspect will take LGBTQ. In the U.S., the approach may be very direct and open. However, there are laws in other areas of the world that would prevent that. And that's why the commit model has been built so that it's a starting place for everyday inclusion, but also takes into some of the cultural nuances around the world. Now, you're very clear about how this book is a resource and a coaching guide. Tell me the ideal audience. You know, is this something that anyone can can take, even a, a young professional in an entry level role and and make suggestions in their organization? Tell me how it's going to be best utilized by the reader. Sure. I wrote the book um, specifically for those that are within organizations and leaders. So I'll start there so that leaders are able to take the model. There's an action guide that goes along with it and other tools so that they can begin to use it for themselves as individuals, but then also with their teams with the hopes that this will then be used across the enterprise. So my goal is every person, every level, every day will be able to understand the how of inclusion beyond just the words. Excellent. So Luana, I share the concept of being very action oriented. And as a coach, I always want to empower my audience with tools. So what's one nugget, one piece of advice that you'd like to leave with our listeners around the world today? Sure. I would say, first of all, looking at the issues surrounding diversity and inclusion are complex and no one has all the answers and we're going to mess up. We may not get it right. 
However, when we believe in the inherent value of every person, let's get out there and try. And I think we'll find that we have more in common than we do different. Luana, I learned so much from you today. Thank you. Thank you for being with me and sharing your wisdom and expertise. Thank you for having me. And I want to tell everybody about your book. The title is Diversity Beyond Lip Service, a coaching guide for challenging bias. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. So do check it out. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps other people find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you'd like to hear about on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show incredible for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.